much, you know, to show love to somebody. And just a little bit of love can make a big difference in someone's lives. And uh, so thank you for that reminder. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Are we ready? And give me just a little bit more, fellas. My voice is a little scratchy. And uh, I don't want to whistle out there, but just a little bit more for me would be helpful. Thank you so much. We're in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 31. And I promise you we're going to finish this chapter tonight. And we're going to get into chapter 15 too. All right. And so, uh, but Proverbs in chapter 14, verse number 31. And we're just going verse by verse. And we got our tools with us tonight. We got our minds and hearts tuned in. How many of you had a long day? A little bit of a long day. All right. How many of you got hot today? Got overheated a little bit today? How many of you are hungry right now? Oh boy. Now that crowd's going to be hard to keep your attention. Uh, but, uh, but we've got a little time and let's use it wisely. All right. And let's dial in and on purpose get something out of the book. Father, we love you. We need you. This is your book. This is your truth and it helps us. And it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little, to build a life that honors you. And that's what we want to do tonight. And so uh, a little bit more teach us something about your book, about your truth. And help us then as a result to be transformed because we learn to think a new way about life. And so teach us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 31. The Bible said here, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. Do you notice some continuing things throughout the book of Proverbs? You'll see verses after verses, and we'll run across a few more before we get done with the book. And that is this. uh, God pays attention to the way we treat those less fortunate than us. He does. And he says, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Here's a simple statement. We're trying to encapsulate each of these verses in a simple statement. Here it is. We honor God by showing mercy on the poor. We honor God by showing mercy on the poor. Now, in this world where covetousness and materialism reign supreme, uh, uh, the, the rich will always have fans and they'll always have followers. Uh, the, I remember the lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? Lifestyles of rich and famous. I, I haven't, I didn't pull it out, but somewhere in my notes and illustrations, somewhere along the line, I pulled it out and, and, and typed it out and gave it somewhere along the line. But I, uh, I did some research on uh, most expensive weddings. People, uh, all, there's so many shows, reality shows and things. But the most expensive weddings and then, and then how long they lasted. Now, these aren't the exact numbers, but these are pretty close. And uh, you, you, I think, uh, have taught something similar as well. But anyway, I'm talking about, uh, th- this is not, this is not an exaggeration, okay? These are not the numbers, so don't quote me on it. But it's not an exaggeration of the numbers. This is not true, but it is true. Alright? But anyway, you understand? I don't remember the numbers. But it was like 11 million dollars, 15 million dollars, 20 million dollars for a wedding, a wedding. And, uh, I don't remember which one. One of them lasted 70 hours. <laughs> $10 million for a 70-hour wedding. Gracious alive. I think we have the emphasis on the wrong thing, right? But, you know, people are fascinated by that. They're fascinated by that lifestyle. 
And uh, but but this verse says uh, uh, God pays careful attention, not to the lifestyles rich and famous. God pays careful attention to those less fortunate. And God pays careful attention particularly to how we treat those less fortunate than us. And he takes it personally. He takes it personally. How we treat others less fortunate than ourselves says so much about us. About us. But it also, according to this verse, says much about our attitude toward God. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says about the word oppress. It means to load or burden with unreasonable impositions, to treat with unjust severity, rigor, or hardship. Uh, we're teaching to all of us, of course, but I'm teaching primarily to the youth. Uh, let, me, let me put it on your level, kiddos. Oppression is getting a laugh at another's expense. Oppression is getting a laugh at others' expense. Oppression is getting attention by belittling someone else. Oppression is manipulating someone else just because you can. Or defrauding or cheating someone who is simple, maybe simple-minded. And mocking someone perhaps for, for example, their poor clothing. The Bible says when you do that, look at the verse again. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth whom? His maker. Notice the M. That's a capital M. You do understand we're talking about the creator God. Amen. Creator of the universe. And God looks down from heaven and he couldn't care less about the lifestyles of rich and famous or how much you spend on your wedding. But he is paying careful attention to how those whom he has blessed and those that are fortunate how they treat others who are less fortunate than themselves. And God takes it personally. He said, when you oppress the poor, you reproach me. The word reproach here means to taunt, to blaspheme, to defy, to defame. God said, when you, when you oppress the poor because you can, you defy, you defame, you blaspheme me. My, and, and here's what he said. You, do, you blaspheme his maker, the poor man's maker. He's, he's uh, presenting himself in his position as the creator of the universe. Uh, turn to Genesis 1. Turn to Genesis 1. Turn to Genesis 1. We've got to review some pretty basic things, you know, as the world continues its slide uh, toward total depravity, we have to be reminded that uh, there's some things that the Bible settles, and we really don't need to uh, open them up for debate. But Genesis chapter one, uh, and look at uh, verse, uh, let's see, twenty-seven. Are you ready? We're going to read it out loud. Genesis one twenty-seven. Genesis one twenty-seven. And together, ready. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I read an article about a week ago of a um, medical professor 
who lost his job uh, for teaching in class uh, that uh, uh, biological males cannot have babies. A university professor, medical doctor, lost his job for teaching in biology class that males cannot have babies. <laughs> somebody who told me, might be somebody here, told me uh, about somebody getting in No, I was, I was uh, visiting the hospital. Somebody had, uh, I was in a room uh, with a family member uh, last week, and they said uh, such and such school here in our county, uh, they put this boy in in-school suspension for saying there's only two genders. That's now I, unless they were lying to me. That's Randolph County. I don't. Uh, I think it was it was uh, either Uwari Middle School or maybe the charter school. I don't know, uh, but uh, I know Uwari was in the names. I don't know which one, but and I don't know at second hand. But if that's true, um, I quite frankly I can't, I'm not too surprised. <laughs> Because we have had students in our uh, church that went to the charter school, and um, anyway, uh, so I'm not real shocked by that. But but w- this world is, is pretty messed up. But you know the Bible still says what it always said: male and female created in them. Amen. That's what the Bible still says. It also says we're made in God's image. Now listen to me very carefully. By the way, uh, uh, the uh, another headline this today was that a, a, a man, a man, one. Uh, the uh, uh, Miss Netherlands, a man won Miss Netherlands. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Anyway, uh, no, I didn't watch the pageant, but I just read the headline. I just read the headline. Uh, but uh, anyway, Mr. So-and-so won the Miss Netherlands pageant. Anyway, so which means he gets to go on to the, to the, to the, uh, 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 to the uh, uh, universe. He can run for Miss Universe now, which is owned by a transvestite. Anyway, so... I think the thing's rigged. How about you? All right. So, <laughs> maker. Maker. Look. God made man in his image. Every man has value because every man, and when I say man in this context, I'm talking about mankind. Every man has value because he was made in the image of his maker. Now, listen to me. Kiddos, listen to me. Kid, I'm not just children, but all of us can be cruel. But, 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 but children can be cruel. And when you dishonor one of God's creation, you dishonor God. When you feel like because of your position or your book bag or your shoes or your whatever or your, your device that you somehow have found a place where you can sort of uh, 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 look down your nose at somebody, you know, because uh, they got a hole in their shoe or whatever. You, friend, listen to me, you dishonor God. You dishonor God when you oppress someone as such. God has special concern for the poor, and He expects those with this world's goods to be considered of their needs. Consider Deuteronomy 15. I'm reading verse 7 and 8. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy, within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shall surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanted. Turn to James in the New Testament. Hebrews, James, First, Second Peter, Third John, Jude. Right near the end of your Bible, you'll find the little book of James. You go to the second chapter. James chapter number 2 and look at verse number 1. 
James chapter number 2, verse number 1. We're talking about how, what, how we treat those less fortunate than us. What it says about us and particularly what it says about our attitude toward God. James chapter 2 and verse number 1. My brethren. Here a few pages there. We'll give you another moment. James chapter 2. How many of you there say amen? All right, verse number one. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Listen to me. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? Would you look at me for just a moment? Uh, obviously, the scourge of, uh, of slavery in our nation is a, is a, is a, is a, a, a just a, a terrible part of our history. But can I tell you that some of the most precious songs and some of the most precious revival spirit came when uh, the uh, black folks were oppressed in this nation and some holy men and women of God while they were oppressed and while they were uh, 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 treated so unfairly, it, it, it drew them close to God. And there's a lot we could learn about Christianity from such folks. You want to learn something about Christianity? Go to a communist country where Christians are oppressed and starved and, and, and famished. Let, let me tell you something. The truth is this. Prosperity is a challenge to be overcome when it comes to being close to God. It's in those times of oppression and in those times of poverty and in those times of persecution that we realize our need for God. The Bible says, uh, that's what he's talking about. He says, uh, don't you, verse 5, look at it again. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? My friend, listen, friends, some of the poorest people that ever lived among us are some of the wealthiest when they get to heaven. (laughs) Yeah. God's not impressed by our bank accounts, I can promise you that. Rich in faith. And heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. Don't you know this? Verse 6, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye, look at this, If ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. If ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin. Listen to me. God, the Bible said, is no respecter of persons. Amen. God, we are all made in the image of God. Hallelujah for that. Amen. And the more godly we are, the more we are going to love and treat everyone with the same respect that we would, no matter what, where they live, what kind of car they drive, what kind of clothes they wear. Now, young people, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to the pastor for just a moment. 
If you exclude the non-cool kids from your little groupie because they're not cool and they can't do anything for your reputation, you are a respecter of persons and have reproached God. And I can promise you one thing, God does not respect your little groupie. Somebody say amen. If you're blessed and been fortunate, you, my friend, ought to make room. Listen, I don't mean this in a critical way, but if a person hasn't had the opportunity to have an education, they are going to sometimes feel awkward around educated folks. I sat next to a guy on the plane, witness to him, bless his heart, uh, for all the way from uh, Atlanta to Little Rock Monday. And he's very well educated. had quite a vocabulary. Man, I was pulling out every big word I could find. I was doing my best to stay with him. <laughs> and he was kind, and it was a kind conversation. But, um, but and he listened to me. He listened to me. Not saying. Um, uh, but, but, you know, sometimes if a person hasn't had the opportunity somewhere else, that somebody else has, they can just naturally feel a little maybe intimidated. And by the way, let me, hey, girls, look at me. All little girls, look at me. All young girls, young adult girls, little ladies, teenagers, look at me. Do you know what 90, about 90% of beauty is? You, 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 listen, you give me a plain girl and give her some nice clothes to wear and have the opportunity to dress up a little bit. And some of you boys, okay, she's, she's homely. And she come walking, and she, you, wow. Wow. Now, let me tell you something. Not everybody, and you girls listen to me very carefully. I'm, I'm trying to be careful here. But you girls that have been taught something, so you bump into somebody that's not been taught personal hygiene. Okay, you got two choices. You can just make fun of them. <laughs> or you might make a friend of them and take them under your wing a little bit and try to bless them and teach them some things. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? I said, well, they, they, they stink. They wear big clothes. They this. Yeah, you, you watch it. You're on thin ice with God. You are on thin ice with God. Because the Bible said that you oppress, you make their life one inch harder than it already is, and you are reproaching God in heaven. And he takes it personally. Now, if you are all that you think you are, then you ought to be big enough to go meet somebody where they are and love them where they are and help them. Amen? Help them. That's one reason I love the bus ministry. There is ample opportunities. And you ought, to, you, ought to, you ought to work a bus. You ought to work a bus. I didn't say ride a bus. I said work a bus. Okay? There's a difference between riding a bus and working a bus. You ought to work a bus. Listen. You, there ought to be some people on your heart every Sunday you're looking for. You say, I'm not a teacher. No. Are you, how many of you say? Say amen, you say. You, there ought to be some folks you're looking for. And, and you can't wait to see them. And they smile when they see you. And your eyes are focused on them. And you're talking to them. You're involved with them. Look, you workers in these departments over here. You're not in there to fellowship. 
You're there for their children. You, you folks on the buses, you're not there because we need a body in the seat. You are there for the people. You're there to... Anybody understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, we're there to invest in others. Learn somebody's name. Talk to them. Find out something about them. I'm, listen, I'm absolutely convinced. People, people, we, we can read others. Everybody can read to a degree others and tell if somebody has an interest in them or not. I say, well, I don't worry. I don't I go home and say, God, why am I so selfish? And say, please fill me up with your love. I'm not outgoing. I don't have a personality. But you know what? I can surely show some kindness to somebody. And I promise you this. It doesn't take much to make a difference in somebody's life. I am often amazed at the little things. And somebody will come back later and say, that meant so much. I think, I didn't even, I didn't even think nothing about that. And... Uh, Oh, let us make a difference. Number, verse number 32. We've got to get out of chapter 14. Here we go. <clears throat> the wicked is driven away in his wickedness. But the righteous hath hope in his death. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. But the righteous hath hope in his death. Here's a statement for the verse. A man will die the way he lived. A man will die the way that he lived. First Chronicles twenty nine twenty eight contrasted with First Samuel thirty one four and five. David and Saul. David and Saul. David was a man after own, God's own heart. David was the object of Saul's envy. David was a teenage lad, and the king was insanely jealous of a teenage lad. And uh, David lived a humble life. He could have, he could have twice, we know, he could have snuffed Saul's life out, but he would not. He said, I, I dare not touch the Lord's anointed. And, uh, and uh, Saul, Saul would have time when he repent, but, uh, but Saul never got over his jealousy, never got over his envy. Second Chronicles 29, 28 records David's death. It said, he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. In 1 Samuel 13, 31, 4 and 5, records the death of King Saul. Then Saul took a sword and fell upon it. You'll die the way you lived. That little phrase, driven away, driven away. People who meddle with sin often get carried away with it, leading them not just to a hopeless life, but to a hopeless end. <laughs> That's Sunday night. No, not Sunday. It was Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I was preaching, and my uh, my 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 Joe Frazier illustration was supposed to be in the sermon, but it was so good I had to give it to you before you went home. And uh, you don't remember that, but far back it's been too many days. But anyway, I decided to close the sermon because about twenty five phones went off with flood warnings. <laughs> I mean, we're there. You have a witness. Somebody she asked me, "Did you ask me on the way to church?" She asked me on the way to church because there's a lot of Amber Alerts over the weekend too. I, I suppose you got them. And she said, do you reckon our phones would go off if they're, if they're on silence? I said, you know, I really don't know. I said, I, so I'd turn mine off on Sunday. And, uh, and so, uh, and, uh, but uh, all those flood warnings were coming through right at the, so I closed the, ser- closed the sermon. I felt led. Uh, anyway, I read uh, a headline the next morning that somebody had 
tried to move in that and swept away and was drowned here in North Carolina. Might have been others, I don't know, but I read that. And you know what? Sin will do that to you. Sin will do that to you. I, I like the historian David McCullough, and I read numbers of his history books. And I read his book on the Johnstown flood at the end of the uh, 19th century in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It was a booming coal and steel town, and it was riding the wave of the Industrial Revolution. And uh, uh, they, uh, there were uh, uh, families, hardworking families, and they were making a living and building a town there. Fourteen miles up, John's, uh, up the river from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, some, uh, some, some wealthy men, uh, uh, coal and steel tycoons, uh, bought some land and put up a, uh, made it into a resort. And they, they put a makeshift dam there, just, just, a, just an earth dam, uh, and they did it in a hurry. And several times, engineers would come and say, this, this dam is not safe. This dam must, it, it, it must be reinforced. And uh, it, it stepped there. It was an exclusive club. Uh, it was uh, up in the mountains above Johnstown, and, and uh, by the way of the river, it was 14 miles. And uh, they kind of ignored that. It's just, they, they weren't there much, and they'd come on the weekends, you know, and just uh, Andrew Carnegie and other names you'd, you would recognize were, were, were members of this exclusive club up there. And they just ignored the warnings. On several occasions, engineers warned them, warned them, this must be fixed. It's private land, and there was some limitation as to their authority, I guess, at that point anyway. And it was ignored. And then on May the 31st, 1889, that dam broke. And a wall of water, I, 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 I read it, I, I can't remember how high, but it is, it's staggering. A wall of water literally came tearing down the mountainside and literally washed away the town. Over 2,000 people were killed. There's photographs that you can, you can see. And uh, uh, a big pile up at one point at a bend in the river and the town just piled up and then it caught fire. And people were burning alive, and people drowned. It was a, uh, 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 they, in that region, they called it the Great Flood. It was a horrific thing. Now, let me tell you something. This, my Bible says right here, said the wicked are driven away in his wickedness. You know, people, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. You, you've grown up in a, you've grown up in, in a good church. Most of you've grown up in a home where moms and dads are trying to teach you right and try to keep you from the things of the world. And moms and dads, I understand. It's like the man of God said over here Wednesday night a week ago. It's, it's the four corners. It, the, I mean, the wind sitting in the four corners of the house. There's no doubt about it. And we need to be that tree we all stood here and said we're going to be. But listen, be very careful. Young people, because of the life, let me call it shelter, okay? Because of the sheltered life you live. Listen to me. It doesn't take much of the world's flashing lights and bling bling to catch your eye. And listen to me very carefully. Sin always starts small. Always. Just a little compromise. Little foxes spoil the vine, the wise man said in Ecclesiastes. And just a little compromise. And listen to me very carefully. Once you, listen, once you justify stepping away from Bible Christianity in the littlest bit, where are you going to stop? Where are you going to stop? Uh, Dr. Oz used to say this, you, you, don't, you don't change your position, change is a position. 
Think about that. Once you determine that it's all right, we can just change this, we change that. Listen, you have started something that you will get swept away in like a flood. I thought about folks that uh, this, this, this verse says, uh, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. I thought about Buddy Holly. I've told that story even in this series. I won't go all the details. But Buddy Holly, Lubbock, Texas, he and his buddy who became a missionary to Canada and served the Lord for years. They, they got saved at the same time. They got called to preach at the same time. Buddy Holly in uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church, Lubbock, Texas, surrendered his life to preach. He said, I'm going to serve God. And then he had a little talent and got some buddies in high school. And they started playing. And somebody invited them on the radio. And they got a little popular. And then somebody said, come over here and play. And go over here and play. And Mama reminded Buddy. He said, Buddy, you surrender your life to missions. What are you doing? And Buddy Holly said, Mama. We're making money. Don't you understand? We can make so much money. I'm still going to be a missionary. I know God's called me. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to do this for three years. And then I'm going to take all that money and I'm going to use it for missions. Except he didn't last three years, did he? He didn't last. I think when I talk about Sunday morning, he likely committed that sin unto death. I don't know. I'm not his judge. But it sure pairs well with what the Bible says. Oh, listen, my dear friend, uh, a sin will take you away like a flood, like a flood. I've told you these stories and um, sweet things of people uh, reaching up to heaven and talking to folks on the other side. One, one time up here at North Point, the music, you could hear the music over a lady. She laid in bed. You couldn't hear it anywhere else. You lay over. You could hear the music of heaven. And then uh, and there's some, I've been by some tormented folks as they went off into eternity. 11 o'clock one night, I got a call. Can you come to the hospital? One of our... Folks was passing away, one of our ladies. And on the way in, uh, one of the policemen stopped me. said, Pastor, what are you doing here? I said, I'm going to visit somebody. I think they're, they, they're, they're getting near the end. He said, is there any way you could go see my mother-in-law? She's getting near the end and she's not saved. I said, sure. And I went there first, the emergency room. And I tried to witness to her. She was coughing up blood. All the family was there. She was coughing up blood. And I tried to witness to her. And she shut me down. I prayed the gospel to her. And then I tried again, talked to her. And she shut me down. And... Uh, she died that night. As far as I know, she died and went to hell. And uh, anyway, the other lady, she passed away too. And she had the glow of heaven on her face as she went into heaven. Amen. Let me tell you, let me die the death of the righteous. Amen. Let me die the death of the righteous. Stephen was stoned by a raging mob, but his face was like an angel. And he died with a prayer of forgiveness for his murderers. As a man lives, he will die. Look at verse number 33. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. But that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Wisdom rests where? Look at it. In the heart. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. But that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a phrase for you to uh, try to encapsulate this verse. Wise people... Don't advertise their wisdom. Wise people don't advertise it. Wise people don't wear a button that says, I'm a wise man. Do you need, do you need anything? <laughs> uh, their wisdom resides. Their wisdom rests in their heart. It rests within. That's consistent 
with the other scriptures that talk about wisdom being like a deep well and wise men know how to go down deep and pull it up. Uh, Wisdom rests within. It's not on the surface. It must be drawn out like a deep well. This is really neat. Matthew Henry uh, said this about this verse. Modesty is the badge of wisdom. That's interesting, isn't it? Modesty is the badge of wisdom. Him that hath understanding. You remember there's two counts, uh, uh, two... two, uh, uh, two times the story of Solomon uh, and his uh, uh, and God said, "What do you want, Solomon? I'll give you whatever you want." And and the verbiage in one of those, he said, "Give me a heart of understanding, that I might judge this thy people." He's a young man, probably he's probably twenty one years old when he became king, and he said, "I've grown up with a silver spoon in my hand. I've never known hardship in all my life, and I'm going to judge this vast nation, and I can't relate to these folks." I don't know what they've been through. How can I judge them and make judgment calls? And my decisions are going to affect millions of people's lives. This is big stuff, God. I need, here's the way he said it, a heart of understanding. And God said, you were asking for wisdom. And because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to make you the wisest man that ever lived. The way, the way Solomon said it, he said, I want a heart of understanding. And God said, you've, you've asked for wisdom. And so God defines that for us. He asked for an understanding heart, and God made him the wisest man that ever lived. The fool, look at the verse again, the fool, on the other hand, just lays his foolishness out there for everyone to see. Uh, He lays it out there for everyone to see. Verse number 33, uh, wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Blah, blah, blah. Fools are known for their mouths, aren't they? (laughs) And what's in his foolishness, he, he declares it and uh, opens his mouth. And, uh, and it's obvious he's a fool. Verse number 34. What a powerful verse. Timely for our nation. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Here's a statement if you're writing this down. What a nation does with God determines what God does with a nation. What a nation does with God determines what God does with a nation. Integrity, ethics, morality, purity, honesty, loyalty, responsibility. These are not just virtues for individuals. They're virtues for nations as well. And when a nation's leaders become corrupt, society is going to become corrupt. I remember, uh, you know, I did not have relations with that. I remember that. We all, uh, and I remember the bumper stickers that came out of that. Character counts. Remember that? Character counts. And character does count. You cannot, listen, a man says, I have one public life and I have a private life. Then what you have is a dual life and you are two-faced. Character is what I am in public is what I am in private. You know, listen, everybody listen to me. What you are in public, what you are in private. Edmund Burke said this, whatever is morally wrong cannot be politically right. It's a good statement, isn't it? Whatever is morally wrong cannot be politically right. H.A. Ironside, who pastored the Moody, uh, uh, Moody Tabernacle, um, said this about this verse. History is but the perpetual illustration of what is here declared in this verse. Nations like individuals are judged according to their ways. No country 
has prospered long that forsook the path of national righteousness. I read the little book of Joel today. Hosea, yesterday you read Joel today. And you go through the Old Testament prophets. And when, 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 the, nation, when the nation of Israel was in rebellion, it didn't go well for them. And when they feared God and worshipped God, God blessed them. And that's true for individuals. Listen to this statement. Legalizing sin does not make it right. Legalizing sin does not make it right. You know, it used to be, and there's still laws, still laws on books and states and so forth. But uh, uh, sodomy is against the law in our country. Now we have a whole month to celebrate it. But uh, just because uh, nobody, first of all, we have the laws and we ignore the laws. We don't enforce the laws, ignore the laws. And then we, uh, and then we uh, uh, rewrite the laws. And then, uh, then we advocate for it. And then we make it a protected class. And then we celebrate it. And anybody that doesn't celebrate depravity is now a bigot and a narrow-minded religious bigot. Well, I got news for you, dear friend. Uh, God... In the beginning, God created man and woman in his image. Amen. That's still in the Bible. Still in the Bible. No fault divorce. We got to a place in our nation where the promises that we made, the pact that we made, the marriage commitments meant nothing. No fault divorce. We came to a place in our country where we said, well, you don't have to have a reason. If you just don't want to be married anymore, it doesn't matter. You can break that contract. Dishonesty on an individual level or on a national level, we'll reap the same both individually and nationally. Cohabitation has been normalized. Listen, it is not right. It is not right. It is not right. It is not right to act like you're married when you're not married. Premarital sex and illegitimate babies is no longer shameful to society at large. Booze has been legalized. The Bible and prayer kicked out of the schools, out with creation, in with evolution. Same-sex marriage is now legalized. Does that Because it's legalized does not mean it's legitimate in the eyes of a holy God. Righteousness still exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. And then verse 35, the king's favor. That word favor means delight. That in which one delights. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is is against him that causeth shame. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth shame. Let me give you this in in the form of a question. Let me give you this verse in the form of a question. Are you a delight or a shame to your leaders? Are you a delight or a shame to... To your, deleter, to, to your leaders. Again, the word favor means delight. The king's favor, he delights in a wise servant. And let me tell you this. Young people, listen to me very carefully. There will always be opportunities for young men and young ladies who are wise, humble servants. See the word servant there? A wise servant. A wise, you know what a servant does? Serves. <laughs> That's what a servant does. A servant serves. A, a servant serves others. And listen to me. Listen to me. I, 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 any, any job that helps mankind, any job that, 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 that helps make a, a, another man's life better, I went sweeping the street, uh, plumbing the house, flying an airplane, 
uh, 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 creating, manufacturing something, anything that adds to a man's life is an honorable thing. Work is honorable. And if it is a service to mankind, let me tell you something. Gambling is no service to mankind. It's a detriment to mankind. Booze doesn't serve mankind. It destroys mankind. Tobacco doesn't help anybody's lungs. It destroys lungs. Honorable work is that which contributes to the welfare of mankind. And when you serve others, and you serve others wisely, promise you this, there will always be an opportunity for you somewhere. That's how Joseph got his job. That's how Daniel lasted through three world empires. And probably the Bible doesn't name them all, but if history books are correct, about a dozen different kings and viceroys and so forth that he served. And somehow he always seemed to make it to the top. And they couldn't figure him out. He was an anomaly. They didn't know. They didn't know what to say about him. This young man, Daniel, who at age uh, around 20, 22, 34, something like this, said, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'll not defile myself. And uh, then at age 88, 89, 90 in there, they throw him in a lion's den because he won't quit praying. Daniel said, I'm just going to do right. It, one of those kings said this. He needed something interpreted. And uh, and uh, they said about him, he said, there's man Daniel, you know, and in, in the spirit of the gods is in him. The spirit of the gods is in him. <laughs> you know, the world doesn't know what to do with God's people. Sometimes. They don't know what to say about us, you know. And, you know, this man, he's the spirit of the God. The Bible said... Daniel had an excellent spirit, and he was known for that. And all these different kings come along. And three different the the, the Medo Persians uh, 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 conquered the Babylonians, and then they got conquered. And in all these kingdoms, they recognized this man Daniel. There's something different about him. What was he? He was a humble servant. He didn't promote himself, and he was wise. And there was a place for him. Young people, I want you to think about the leaders in your life. Think about your parents for a moment. Think about your parents. Are you a delight to them? Or do you bring them shame? Think about your grandparents. Think about your spiritual leaders, your pastor, your pastoral staff. Are you a delight? Or do, you, do you bring reproach upon them? Do you bring uh, shame upon them? Think about your boss. Think about your coach, your Sunday school teacher. You know, through the years, I've heard this more than a few times. Someone say about a child, pray for, pray for my child, they're back in jail. I'm sorry. Well, truthfully, at least I know they're safe in there. That's a sad thing to have to say as a parent, isn't it? Let me give you one verse in chapter 15. Amen. One and only one. I know you're tired. A soft answer. Turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Here's a statement for you. Gracious words diffuse tense situations. Gracious words diffuse tense situations. Now, fools do the opposite. Fools, the Bible says, call for strokes. Fools. Fools call for strokes. Get back here to the mic. Fools call for strokes. And 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 and, and they, they draw people out. Draw and somebody says something, they say something back, say something, say something back. But the Bible says a soft answer. Turneth away wrath. You know what words do? They reproduce themselves. 
Harsh words reproduce harsh words. Soft words reproduce soft words. Instead of, what, what, what? <laughs> if somebody comes at you hard, and maybe unjustifiable, you know, maybe it's not justified. How many ever got, how many ever got just torn into by a boss? You guys do not raise your hand. Uh, anyway, if you're not on the platform, how many of you ever <laughs> got torn into by your boss and it, was, it really wasn't fair, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't completely fair? Maybe he didn't quite have all the facts and he drew some conclusions or she drew some conclusions and, and you got torn into and, uh, and, uh, and it was tough. Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Okay. Will you raise your hand? You deserve it, man, the way you treat your employees. Anyway, but uh, here's what the Bible says. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place for yielding pacify great offenses. So many, many times we make things worse. And uh, here's what you ought to try. How about this response? You know, I think you're right. Or how about this one? I'm sorry. How about this one? You know, you have a point there. How about this one? I never thought of it that way. Uh, the, the fool is the one who stirs things up with grievous words. Listen, dear Christian friend, don't be that person who always has to have the last word and the last jab and the last cutting remark. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Amen. You know what? David was going to kill that churlish man, Nabal. But uh, a lady with some discretion came along and spoke softly and said, Don't pay any mind to my husband. You know he's got a bad temper. We all are good people. I think you're probably, this is not like you. I think you have a good name, David. I don't think this is like you. And here, I, you guys are probably hungry. I've got some food for you. And David said, You know, you're pretty wise. I was ready to tear his hide up. But I think I'll have some raisins instead. <laughs> a soft answer. Gideon did that. Remember Gideon blew the trumpets, the pitchers and so forth. Ephraim didn't come to the battle. And the Midianites are killing each other and took off running. And when they got him on the run, Gideon sent messengers out to all the tribes and said, come help us. We're chasing these guys down. We, we've got, we, the, the, the day has gone our way. Let's finish them off while we can. They sent word to Ephraim and Ephraim came down. They joined the battle and they actually killed the two princes of the Midianites, the two chief guys. And then when the battle was over, they said they were mad at Ephraim. I mean, Gideon. So how come you didn't call us to the battle in the first place? They wanted the glory. And, and Gideon very wisely, he said, you know, fellas, listen, we couldn't hold a handle to, candle to you guys because you, uh, the Zeba, I forgot the guy's name, so forgive me, but you killed the princess, man, you guys. And the Ephraimites said, yeah, we did, didn't we? <laughs> I mean, they were ready to fight, literally. The Ephraimites, they wanted to start a civil war. But Gideon, because they, the Gideon was getting the glory. And Gideon just, he said, oh, no, man, I can't hold a candle. You guys, you guys, man, you guys are warriors. You got the big, the two top dogs. And he very wisely turned away wrath with a soft answer. And uh, God help us to do that. Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the Bible.
teach us these